This is episode 55 of Generation Red, a Husker podcast. Tonight, we have a very special guest who will help us discuss the Purdue game. Plus, we've got a merch update and some fun facts for you, so stick around. They do this every year. Why? <laughs> because they're Huskers. That's why. Shoot, I think we might have even used that clip last time you were on with us, Dustin, except it was the beginning of before the year started, but we probably should have used it. Anyway, <laughs> hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kettle Corn of Husker Fan Podcast, where we try to be sweet, but at times we do get salty. I am your host, Ken. And I am your enthusiastic other host, Scott. <laughs> neither one of us are anywhere near Nebraska, and neither is Dustin. I mean, we're we're about as far away from each other as we possibly could be, so hopefully the miracle of the internet will keep us together. And as you all can see, we are joined once again by a well-traveled and respected member of sports media who also happens to be a Purdue fan, but, you know, we like him anyway. His day job is as a content creator at Outsider.com, but he can also be heard on the midweek edition of the Eyes on Big podcast which is one of my favorites as well, even though he's on it um, as well as on the radio dial at Indiana sports beat and rumor has it that uh, he might even be back on Twitter. We'll find out. That's right. He's back folks. The indomitable and unflappable Dustin shooty. Welcome back to the show, but it's good to have you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I need to have you guys like on speed dial for some sort of great entrance. Every time I, I step into a room, that's, that's a, that's a heck of an intro. Thanks. You're, you're welcome. I, I toned it down a little bit because it was really, really cheesy. I mean, that was plenty of cheese factor, but there was there was like some extra Parmesan on it at first, and I decided to back it off a little. Um, <laughs> so, <clears throat> eyes on big, dude. How did how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was pretty pretty cool. Um, uh, big Kurt, who everybody knows, uh, wanted to to step away just a little bit, um, get a little bit. He has a lot going on with work and a lot of other things going on. Uh, and I obviously covered the Big Ten for about eight to ten years between Saturday Tradition and some other ventures that I had in sports media. And Jeffrey the Greek gave me a call and asked if I'd be interested. I said, heck yeah, uh, anytime you get a chance to cover the Big Ten in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun to do that. It's been fun to kind of be a fan, uh, step away from, you know, the, the media side of it a little bit. And, uh, he allows me to be a little bit of a fan on that. So it's, it's been a lot of fun to do the podcast and then to, uh, jump back in and not always be so serious when it comes to college football. Yeah, there's definitely an energy, a fun energy between the two of you, much like there is between him and Kurt. So the, the midweek show didn't lose a beat with you on it. So it's been really enjoyable to listen to you. Uh, you have any questions at all, Scott? Uh, no, I came ill prepared. I apologize. Vacation does that to me sometimes. Um, I'll just, how you doing? That's, I guess that's my question. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing great. Uh, the, uh, my one, uh, set, I don't know if it's a sad story or, uh, what it is, but, uh, you guys get to enjoy some of the, the fall colors this time of year. I'm down here in Florida where it's always green. And when it gets to be really cold and you guys are dealing with the 20 and, and 30 degree temps, uh, I'll be happy that it's green, but right now I, I do miss the uh, fall foliage. That's for sure. Are you 
down in Florida permanently, or is it something that you're just doing for right now for Outsider? Uh, well, I I do live here for now. Oh, okay. We'll see. Uh, I'm hoping to get back up to Georgia sometime soon. That's uh, that's what I consider now my home. So we'll we'll see if it happens in the near future. An Outsider, is there anything crazy, fun, interesting? I know we were kind of talking off air about it, but let folks know what's going on there. Yeah, so we are diving kind of full head first into these um, what we call kind of builds that we're doing a lot of stories on the SEC in terms of, uh, you know, creating, mixing culture in college football and athletics. So, you know, I'm going down to, to different cities in the SEC. Some of them I've been to, some of them I'm visiting for the first time. And, you know, looking at some of the best things to do in those cities. Uh, what's what's fun to do on game day? Where are the, what are the best bars? What are the best restaurants? Uh, where, where, what's the tailgates, what's the tailgate scene like? Um, so all a bunch of that stuff. And then we've completed uh, Gainesville, Florida, uh, Athens, Georgia, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, Nashville for Vanderbilt. I'm currently working on uh, where, where Scott's located. I'm currently working on LSU right now. So it's been a lot of fun to, to kind of do this. And this is always something I've wanted to do is, is to explore and, and write about, you know, the, um, and experience the, the connection between culture, fandom, football, all that good stuff. So it's been a lot of fun to be able to, to dig into that kind of stuff here these past couple months. Well, you know, like they say, it just means more in the SEC, and I guess it just tastes better too, right? <laughs> That's one. I, you know, I don't know if it just means more, but it absolutely tastes better. Yeah, I hear you. And I the hear soul you. food. Exactly. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. so you sent me an email earlier today that had this little link in it that uh, means that we can start following you on Twitter again. Um, yes. How did that happen and why? I mean, I thought you decided I'm done. I'm out. I got to take a break. And then now you're back. So I, I, that is that is what happened. I was so a uh, quick story because a lot of people did reach out and I did read and 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 got in touch with some of those people. And I do appreciate you. A lot of people reaching out and making sure I was I was doing OK. Um, it had nothing to do with with being uh, not having good mental health or anything along those lines. I just was sitting at home one day. Uh, about two and a half hours until work, sitting in a chair, scrolling through Twitter on my phone. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, those two and a half hours had passed and I didn't accomplish a single thing. So yeah. I, I grounded myself from Twitter. Uh, for whatever reason, the other social media <laughs> platforms, Facebook, Instagram, I don't get quite that obsessed with it. But for whatever reason, I did on Twitter. So I grounded myself. Um, I surpassed the 30-day mark. So I had to completely, um, I had to create a brand new account which is totally fine. Um, but that's just, that's just kind of the story as to, as to how that went and, and why I disassociated from the, the app and then why I got it back. And I got it back because a couple reasons. What, number one, we're getting close to the college football playoff conversation. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be myself if I can't rant and rave about that when those are on. <laughs> and uh, again, some of the things we're doing at Outsider, some of the things that I'm, I'm venturing off into and, and doing myself, as well as the Eyes on Big podcast and Indiana Sports Beat, there's a lot of things that I would like to, to get out to the world. And so for those reasons, mm-hmm. I decided now was the, the right time. But I do, I do not have the app on my phone. I've decided for now I'm going to keep it just on my laptop. So when I'm working, I'll have it open. And then when I'm, when I'm not working or not on my laptop, I will be away from it. So that gives me that sort of barrier that apparently I still need because I'm basically a 12-year-old child. 
<laughs> Aren't we I mean, all? Like, yeah, I think we can all say that. I mean, here we are sitting on a camera uh, in three different states, literally a triangle <laughs> apart from each other, uh, talking about football. So just three big kids, which is the best way to be as far as I'm concerned. So now that we've uh, gotten through all the pleasantries, let's get to the unpleasant part of the show. <laughs> Most notably the uh, Purdue game. And I'll start with you, Dustin. As a Purdue fan, I know you're happy with the W, but overall, what were your impressions of Purdue and somewhat of Nebraska as well uh, in this game? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with Purdue. I think the one thing that I've been really impressed with over the last few games and what really what really jumped off the page to me and off the screen on Saturday was their rushing attack. I mean, this is a team yeah. and a program that under Jeff Brom has really struggled to run the football. And he made it a, a point earlier this year, said we need to be able to close out games by running the football. You know, they looked at that Penn mm-hmm. State game. They couldn't do it. They had some issues in the Syracuse game. That was mostly penalties more so than a rushing attack. Um, but Devin Mockaby, you know, a, a, a young kid, I think, I believe he's a walk-on. 178 yards on 30 carries, a touchdown. Big Ten freshman of the week. Had an extraordinary game. Uh, was really impressed with with just how Purdue was able to run the ball. Um, and then. You know, I, I still I still gripe a little bit. I still think that they're targeting Charlie Jones too much in the passing attack. Uh, God forbid something happened to him. He goes down and gets injured. You know, typically <laughs> yeah. Purdue has had a lot of success and a lot of depth at the wide receiver position, especially under Jeff Brom. But I'd like to see them get some more guys involved. And they did. They got, you know, King Doru involved in the passing game. TJ Sheffield, um, Payne Durham is obviously a really good target for them. So. Overall, I was pretty impressed. Um, I think my the, the one concern I have, much like Jeff Brahms at the end of that game that he talked about, uh, there's a lot of things they can do better in the secondary because uh, they let Trey Palmer, I mean, he lit them up. I, I don't know what his uh, final like yards per play were, but I know he had one carry, one technically one carry for 60 yards, uh, had 237 yards, receiving yards, two touchdowns. I mean, just an incredible performance. So overall, you're happy with the win. I'm going to have nightmares about Trey Palmer for quite some time, I think. Um, it was a fun game. It was a fun game. And one thing I'd like to say, and I'll let you guys you know, kind of take away from the, the Nebraska side, um, because there was really no defense played in this game. It was, it was kind of an offensive showcase. But the one thing I will say is I did watch Mickey Joseph this week with, with only five games. I was able to watch each of the post-game uh, comments from each of the coaches in the Big Ten. And, you know, whether he's the guy or not, I think he's just having fun coaching these kids. Um, getting the most out of him. He just seems like, you know, and he's taking full responsibility for a lot of the miscues for, you know, any issues that they have Um, and good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know that that's always been the case these last four or five years. So I'm a big Mickey Joseph, Joseph fan. I don't know whether he's going to be the head coach at Nebraska or not. I would lean towards probably not. Uh, But at the same time, like, I think he's, he, He's having a lot of fun with this opportunity. He's he's having a blast. The kids are responding to him. I'm really interested to see what they do here in these final, what, five games, because I mm-hmm. still think the way they've played these last three weeks, I still think they could squeak into a bowl game. They're, they're, yeah, that's absolutely possible, uh, no doubt about it. Scott, um, why don't you go ahead? I know you didn't really, like said, vacational mess with preparation, but – um, just overall, off the top of your head, where are you at with uh, how the Huskers performed on Saturday night? 
Yeah, first, just off the top of my head, I'm going to just kind of reflect on what Dustin Schutte said. You know, first thing that that really didn't surprise me was how they were in the running game. If there's anything that could be a residual effect of Frost coaching is preparing our guys mentally for something that they're not expecting. And one thing that Purdue was not good at going into this game was their running game. And so I think I had said in our our game preview that I would expect Purdue to establish some running game. You know, Maccabi is no slouch. He's he's an athletic guy and a a freaking workhorse. I mean, he you give him the ball and he's going to do something. And so I was very worried going into this game that they were going to pop off 200 yards of overall rushing. And that's exactly what they did. it didn't surprise me at all. Uh, what did surprise me was just how grind knows it was like when it came to their rushing attack. They had no, they did not look shy putting all of their confidence in the running game at all. That's kind of what surprised me. I thought they were going to be more a little, like a little bit more like just kind of throw them in there just to kind of throw us off. No, they, it looked like they were steadily relying on that rushing game to bring our defenders bring our defenders to man to man and bring everybody forward so that they could set up um, some sort of quick, quick slant, quick curl route, you know, quick uh, crossover, like just, just dump, you know, dink and dunk, dink and dunk. Um, So what I was just most surprised about was just how easy it was for Jeff Brom to draw up a, a schematic of how to just completely dismantle our defense Mm-hmm. Um, cause they'd seemed like with, with, uh, their game against Rutgers and with their game against Illinois, which aren't necessarily offensive powerhouses, you know, I will give them, you know, give it credit where it's due. You know, they, they didn't necessarily play, uh, good offenses in those bouts, but, right. um, I thought maybe our guys were kind of just getting a little bit better to, to, come up with a you know just a very standardized term um no no they looked they looked pretty garbage for the most part our defense looked as they did in previous games um and is it that they're that they're garbage i don't know um purdue just looked good purdue looked their offense jeff brahm is an offensive mastermind he's exactly what we thought scott frost was going to be um I mean, dude just knows how to coach his freaking pee pee off. So, um, it was, it was a, it was a great game. One of the things that I, I would say that my overall take, my overall take is that as I was sitting there on that couch, there was a feeling of novelty that I haven't felt in a very long time where I wasn't sitting there thinking there's no way we can find a way to win this game. There was something about this team when I was watching them play that I was like, they have a shot here. I think they have a shot. It's completely up to the defense at this point. The defense is going to decide this game for Nebraska, and they just didn't show up. But I did not doubt going into that second half that we didn't have some way to win this game. And there were tons and tons of, of moments where you could look at the Nebraska team and go, they have a shot to win this game. They're not out of the fight. And I haven't felt that in a very, very long time. Last season was kind of like that, but 
it was more like, how are they going to make me feel like we have a shot of winning? <laughs> but then the only shot that they give is in their foot. Um, yeah. So that was, that was, that was kind of my overall impression was at the end of the game. I was like, damn, we, we were one fourth and one sack from uh, Ty Robinson away from potentially putting the game away. Um, yeah. And it just didn't happen. Props to Jeff Brom and uh, the final two minutes of them just kneeling it out and going into victory formation was quite painful. But at the same time, it's like, eh, I'm kind of used to it now. You know, pain is just, <laughs> you know, numb to me at this point. But it was it was an exciting game. Very exciting game. Um, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I I enjoyed it even as painful as it was when it came down to it. It was enjoyable to watch watch what we were able to do on offense, even though the offensive line was basically the biggest liability it's been all year in, in this game. Uh, for me, it was a game that saw one team consistently do what the other team should have done. Uh, Purdue knew they had the advantage on the line of scrimmage, so they just took their time, which is what I was praying for. If you remember, Scott, last week, one of my keys to victory was that Whipple slow the damn offense down. Even if we don't get many yards, even if we have to three and out, at least take a couple minutes off the clock for crying out loud instead of 22 seconds, I think, like one of our drives. Um, and you guys, uh, you know, Purdue ran time off the clock on doggone near every single play while, you know, Whipple ran our offense at warp speed, uh, knowing that the defense had their hands full and our offensive line couldn't block their way out of a wet paper bag with a chainsaw. Um, <laughs> I don't understand why Whipple won't slow the game down. I, it just makes zero. Now he was willing in that Indiana game to slow things down at the end. Even when the game was still within seven points, he still slowed it down, ran the ball down Indiana's throat. And eventually that led to the final score that put the game out of reach. Why can't you do that at the beginning? Why can't you figure something out, which we'll talk about the running game here a little bit later and why and where uh, it went wrong. Uh, over these last few years, if not a couple of decades. <clears throat> but basically, Whipple did not limit Purdue's possessions. And as a result, 101 plays later, we wow. somehow managed to only lose by six, which still boggles my mind. Um, but without Trey Palmer, you know, we do get blown out by at least 17 points. On a good note, I thought the special teams was, again, a bright spot. We blocked another punt. We had some nice kickoff returns by Tommy Hill, and Bushini may have struggled a bit on his bum ankle, but still averaged over 40 yards of punt and three for three on field goals. When was the last year we could say our field goal kicker went freaking three for three on field goals, and you actually felt good watching him run out there on the field? I think it's at least two years since I felt that way. Yeah. Um, so my final thought is this. Five minutes. Over the course of the second or third and fourth quarter, Nebraska possessed the ball for a grand total of five minutes and still scored 24 points. Like you said, Dustin, like you said, Scott, one more doggone stop in that fourth quarter, and I feel pretty good about going right down the field with Palmer again and, and winning the game. Um, oh, and there were 18 missed tackles by Nebraska, according to Pro Football Focus, so. Yeah, there were a lot of missed tackles. Pretty rough. It was. No doubt about it. It was not a game that 
I didn't expect y'all to put 608 up on us. I figured 500 and some, and I figured no. we'd get into that 450 to 470 range because I knew your defense was kind of in that same area that we were when it came to defending the pass, and I thought that was kind of a strong suit for us. But, you know, line of scrimmage, crying out loud, <laughs> line of scrimmage. So let's uh, let's move on and take a look at the stats of this one. Here we go. Just throw this graphic up here. There it is. All its ugly glory. <laughs> 608. You can't go down any category except one. There's one category out of all of these that Nebraska won. And it's a dubious one at best. 9.2 yards per play, 6.8, 6 yards per play for Purdue. Well, we only got 9.2 because 297 of them came from one dude on eight plays. So. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you guys almost doubled us up in plays at 101 to 52. Uh, you, had, you converted two fourth downs. We didn't even freaking try. <laughs> Don't blame us. Uh, but we were even on third down, which, you know, we both were, what, 33% on third down, but you converted three times more. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> and then just the one at the bottom. The one at the bottom is the one that just because we had the offense to beat you. We did. We had the yeah. offense to beat you, but we didn't possess the ball long enough to do it. And you guys did. So 42 minutes and 34 seconds to 17 minutes and 26 seconds should have meant that Whipple didn't get on the freaking plane to come home. That's just my opinion. Um, but anyway, there's your stats. Any thoughts on those stats, Scott? Is there one stat on there that uh, grabs your attention? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say it's stats. I would just say that it was it was an indication of the cards that we were dealt going into this game and then the cards we were dealt throughout the game that I'm kind of on the opposite side of things. I think Mark Whipple called a fairly decent game for just the fact that, I mean, Mark Whipple didn't plan for Casey Thompson to immediately throw an interception, which led to a Purdue field goal. Right. Um, he did not plan for our offensive line to completely and totally implode three times in a row. That led to a three play minus 17 yard drive that punted it back to Purdue, which led them to another touchdown leading 27 to 10. And it's not Mark Whipple's fault that Trey Palmer just found himself open all the damn time. And what is Casey Thompson going to tell himself? Oh, we got to slow this game down. Let me just not throw this bomb downfield and get a, you know, 60 something yard touchdown. You know, right. it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things that like, obviously could have we slowed the game down and, and, and relied a little bit more on Anthony Grant sure maybe um i, I just don't, don't i just I, don't see our offensive line being good enough for this running game to really take off i kind of that was one of my biggest concerns when at the beginning of the season you know going into the oklahoma game everybody was really high on anthony grant i still think he's a good football player but i was like once we get into big 10 play Outside of Rutgers and maybe Indiana, the rest of the teams that we're going to be playing, to include Purdue, which hasn't necessarily been a good running, like a, a rushing stopping defense or just a good defense in general, you know, they're they're a little bit below middle of the pack. 
but even looking at Purdue, you can you could say, is Anthony Grant going to really hash himself out with these Big Ten teams and with an offensive line that is clearly abysmal and clearly just looks lost the whole game. And so it's like, if you can't slow the game down by running the ball and you can't slow the game down because your quarterback can't stand in the pocket for more than a second without getting his ass lit up, like where can you slow the game down? Like really, where can you? You don't, you don't snap the ball with 25 fucking seconds left on the clock. That's what you do. You but call that's the just play, a game. and then that's you break a huddle at like 15 seconds. You snap it with eight or nine seconds left on the clock, and lo and behold, you've taken at least two, if not three, possessions away from Purdue, even if you don't get anything on that drive. Trey Palmer's still going to get open. You don't have to uh, snap the ball with 25 seconds left on the clock for Trey Palmer to get open. He can still get open. But at what you know, He's point obviously better what? than everybody. At what point were we, when do you slow a game down? You don't slow the game down when you're behind the whole game. That That's where I'm really getting at is that you don't get the luxury of slowing a game down. If you're losing, that's when you slow a game down, you slow the game down when you're losing or when you're winning. At least that's my impression. That's how I look at games. If you're losing, you can't afford to slow the game down. You got to get, you got to get on that scoreboard. Maybe in the first half, it's contestable. I will give you that first half. You know, when it was still 10 to 10 and it was a tied game, you know, maybe we don't go out there and and when Purdue's winning 17 to 10 and, you know, Caitlin throws an interception, maybe that play in particular, you run the ball. I don't know. But, I mean, when you're at halftime and it's 27 to 10, there's absolutely no coach their salt that is going to say, you know what we need to do? We need to slow this game. It's like, no, Purdue's offense is not showing any sign that they're going to down. You got to go out there and go balls to the wall and just try and get as many points on the board as quick as you can. At least that's just, that's, that's my observation, which, you know, you are, you are correct. I do think you are correct that may at least the play clock, slow the play clock down play play clock down just a little bit but well, it, i mean does not, it really make that, that we, much of a difference it's not the play calls that i was we weren't going to run the ball and that's not anthony grant's fault that's not anybody's necessarily fault except the offensive line that anthony grant is an extremely talented running back and without aj allen to come in there and spell him and be that difference uh change of pace um this running the offense has been truly hampered by that, but it certainly doesn't hurt that the offensive line is absolutely getting everybody killed that happens to line up behind the line of scrimmage. So for me, I don't care about running the ball more often. I care about making sure more time is off that play clock before we actually snap the ball and Trey Palmer scores. <laughs> so um, Dustin, this discussion is interesting for us. What do you say? Um, I mean, I know you're happy as hell that you got to keep the ball for 42 minutes. <laughs> well, you know what's uh, funny is is I was complaining that you guys were scoring too quickly uh, because there was it seemed like there was very little defense. What I think is interesting about this uh, this discussion is it's almost like um, a double edged sword. Uh, maybe that's not the right analogy, but 
if you don't score quickly in that in those scenarios, um, you run the risk of a turnover. You run the risk of potentially not scoring at all. You know, maybe you're maybe you don't find Trey Palmer. Maybe it takes him out of the out of a rhythm that they had going. I don't know. But at the same time, when you do score that quickly, that then immediately puts your defense back out on the field. And when your defense has to play for nearly 43 minutes, they're going to be exhausted. And that's probably why, you know, you saw so many missed tackles late in that game. That's why Purdue was able to steal it on some fourth down conversions late in that game. So it's a very interesting um, it's a very interesting observation and one that I didn't really think. I mean, I knew the time of possession, but it's not one, you know, when you're just watching the game. And you see, man, how can we stop Trey Palmer? You don't really think about slow the game down or speed the game up or whatever. At least I wasn't. Um, the that's other true. thing that's the, the other thing that was interesting is to this point about slowing the game down, trying to run the football, and maybe Nebraska could have done it a little bit better. But I don't know if you guys remember Pat Narduzzi went on a tirade <laughs> before the season started about having an offensive coordinator that refused to run the football, even though they would pick up nine or 10 yards per carry. Um, I can't remember. I think it was against Georgia tech. Maybe I don't remember what game he referenced, Mm -hmm. but basically said we had an offensive coordinator who just wanted to throw the ball. And what I will say is when Scott Frost was in town um, at times, which I know only lasted a few games when he took over the offensive play calling, they did run the ball and it did work uh, at least to some effect. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I think Purdue's a unique team in that they can score quickly. I think their defense is just good enough to create turnovers to get them off the field. It'll be interesting to, to me to see how this team plays against teams like Illinois, uh, who mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota, Iowa, teams that like Illinois and Minnesota can possess the ball, but they're not. They they don't ha- really have much of a big play threat. If you can if you can find a way to, which is a hard task but they don't really have a guy through the air that's going to beat you if you can if you can shut down or or try to contain chase brown or mo ibrahim uh illinois passing game is moderate i would say minnesota's right now is bad so Mm -hmm. i think that those are the kind of games that are interesting to me i just think purdue is unique in the fact that they are so dynamic through the passing game and then (laughs) they were just able to run the football i I don't i can't explain that (laughs) right yeah, well, I can. We were dead last <laughs> in the Big Ten against the run. So, mm-hmm. Scott, good, that was a good discussion. Absolutely great. Do you have anything else you want to add, Scott, before we move to our game breaker and game wrecker of the week? Uh, I think the I think the metaphor that you were looking for, Dustin, was uh, damned if you do and damned if damned you if, don't. There you go. That's, that's a good what one. I was yes. about to say. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and, and I completely, <laughs> I you know, to to play devil's advocate, yes, you know, it's like. It, we we need to find a way to give our defense some damn rest. You know, yeah. like if, if they're if they're as bad as they've been thus thus far throughout the season, like I mean, the number one thing that you could do to help them precipitously is let them sit right. for just a moment. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, Trey Palmer had an absolute bomb of a game. Like, just what a guy. Almost 300 yards of offense, that guy alone, which, I mean, that's pretty much our whole, uh, do you, like, how do you, how do you, how do you know that he was going to do that? Even with the pattern of it, of him showing that he was going to do it throughout the game, does it really come to fruition? Because we've had, we've had, you know, guys in the past that 
have an explosive individual performance for a player too, but then they're just a non-factor for the rest of the game, you know, is like uh game of retrospect, hindsight 2020, really. Um no, I guess that's I think that's I think that's pretty much it. What do you got? Speaking of Trey Palmer, uh, which I know you're gonna talk about him more, has okay, I feel like his first touchdown in the second half has always been a a long post route. Am I yeah. accurate on that? Yeah, yeah, okay. darn close, yeah. It, it it is it is crazy to me that the I mean I didn't see it they didn't they, Indiana didn't know to expect it uh, and then he scored against Rutgers which I think has a better defense in Indiana and then to, after two weeks in a row Purdue acted very confused that they were going to run a, a deep post route uh, and try to score quickly with Trey Palmer that was that's just. Um, a trend I'm interested to see in two weeks if they try it out of the out of the half uh, again because that's been uh, that's been bread and butter right there for him out, of, you, that, out of the half. Okay, so I want to I want to get your opinion on this because we're not X's and O's guys. You know, we've never coached before. We've never been on a football team before. So, like, when you're going on a post route, one of the things I notice with Trey Palmer is what he does. This might be exactly what your coach do on post routes. But what he does is he he cut he kind of slants a little bit, like kind of maybe veers towards the sideline just a tad, just gets around the guy. He doesn't run in front of him. He runs around him, and then he uses his breakaway speed and just takes off right as he knows he's going to get around that dude's shoulder. Is that the way people are coached to do those post routes, or is that just something that Trey Palmer does to manipulate the defensive guy into thinking that, he's not going to get that breakaway speed. That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I have the answer. Um, I think when you have a guy that has that kind of speed, the goal, I don't, because I don't know if you would consider that a double move on Trey Palmer's part. Cause there's not really, I don't think there's really, it's like a move and a half because it's not really a move. And then you're going to right. something else. Um, I, I, maybe he just lulls the defender to sleep. I think that Mark Whipple trusts him to, let the play develop, and then as soon as you think you have a step, go uh, just head towards the end zone. I, I mean, I don't know if that's how it's coached for him. I think you have to, ha- but I think you have to have his kind of speed for that to work because there's not a lot of receivers that I don't. I think that's going to work. For. I mean, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, they have those guys, but that's about it. It's so, so that's a great so like. Look, look at it. I, I was curious. I was going through uh, highlights of Trey Palmer with those touchdown passes that he got where he does this post. And and I watched it, and I, I went on YouTube, and I slowed it down to half speed. And it's so strange. He just cuts right to the outside of the guy's shoulder. And then, like, within two steps, he's at his max speed. He's, like, running at about 60%. And then within two steps, he's at his max speed right as he's getting around that dude's mm-hmm. uh side mm-hmm. and i i guess it's only simply because of his individual performance that i decided to look into those details and i tried like searching like post routes like post route touchdowns and they're always running in front of the guy and just just throwing all of their chips in on i can just be faster than him just right out of the gate um, but these, all of these touchdowns that, that, uh, Trey Palmer is getting when he is beating the guys, he's, he's literally forcing himself around to their backside and then going past them. 
So it's like yeah. a it's like a modified post route almost. He's not just There's... running a dead sprint. He's like kind of forcing them to get on their weak side and then go around him. It's it's I've never paid attention to that before. And I was like, is that he, something people do? I, you know what? I don't know because I, like you said, Scott, I'm, I'm not an X's and O's guys and I'm not sure if he's, I just think Trey Palmer is one of those. He's got that track speed. There's not a lot of defensive backs in the big 10. They're going to be able to keep up with them. And I think he lulls them to sleep by getting even with them. And he's not even the Indiana catch. We were in that end zone. He scored in. So I'm sitting there. I see him go out. I see Casey Thompson hit his back foot and launch. And I'm like, oh, he's shooting for Palmer. And at the moment that Casey let the ball go, Palmer was even with the DB running straight down the field. And then, boom, he just kicks in the jet. He angles toward the number. And, boom, the ball was in his bread bread basket. It was unbelievable to watch. It was like a perfectly scripted ballet. And he looks as smooth and as clean and as incredible as any receiver I've ever seen on a Nebraska playing field, much less any others and extremely explosive, strong uh, wins, those 50, 50 balls. I mean, the guy's just incredible, but yeah, that's a good observation because when I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's a really good observation um, because I think part of what he, part of what you're doing is, is the mentality of the defensive back and that they're going to use that sideline as another defender so you think they probably can soften up a little bit. And then as he, when he sees their eyes leave for that split second is when he knows to take the Jets. I don't know. I didn't watch it, but that's what I would assume is happening. I'm going to now, now I'm interested because when it's, when somebody <laughs> points something that like that out is when I, is when I start to see it. Um, so I'm going to go back and watch it. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that. Um, but again, I, I think you're onto something. I don't know if that's how it's coached or not. But you have to have his kind of speed to be able yeah. to make that work. I mean, you have top speed and two steps. You ask any non-track athlete to do, and you're not going to be very lucky with that. It's right. definitely one in a one in a thousand. And, um, and some of those, and some of those, like you, to use a Purdue guy as an example, David Bell. You could run him on a post route. He could be even with a defender, but because he's so good at fifty-fifty balls. It almost doesn't matter if he beats his defender or not. I don't know that Trey Palmer is a good 50, 50 is as good of a 50-50 pass catcher, which is where you want to use his speed. So that's that's why it's probably more important for him to get to beat his defender than some of these other Big Ten receivers that that are taller, have really good hands, um, and are good 50-50 catcher uh, pass catchers. Yeah, absolutely, and. You know, seven receptions, as you said earlier, school record, 237 yards, two touchdowns, 33.85 yards per catch, one rush for 60 yards, uh, leading rusher in the game, <clears throat> 297 total yards. Without Trey Palmer, Nebraska has 179 total yards in that game, unless somebody else steps up for a few, but um yeah, that's the game breaker of the week for sure. Game wrecker, we don't have one on the Nebraska sideline, but uh, I will give that award, Scott, and I think you'd probably agree with me that the Purdue offensive and defensive lines of scrimmage wrecked our game pretty much what we really wanted to do. Um, thank God Casey can throw that ball fairly accurately deep down the field. Otherwise, uh, Palmer doesn't get that many catches, at least in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, what do you think? Um, it's hard. It's hard. Cause there wasn't, 
I would say that I would give an honorary mention to just all of the second and third stringers that have been playing that Bill Bush has just said, screw it. Let's just let them play. Let's check out these freshmen. Let's give, I mean, some of it by absolute necessity, you know, did they plan for Luke Reimer and for Nick Henrik to both be out of the game at a certain point and have to fill in those linebacker positions? Of course not. Um, they, I mean, they kind of had some foreknowledge of Luke Reimer, but Nick Henrik being in crutches at the end of the game was something that they mm-hmm. were not planning for. Um, <laughs> so my my game wrecker of the week was freaking Bill Bush. To, like, I don't know how that dude can walk up and down the sidelines because he's got balls of fucking steel. He's just <laughs> going out there. Just here you go. Malcolm Hartzog with his, what is it? Third interception of the year. Second interception, uh, yeah, second interception. Second interception and a special teams. He didn't block the punt, but he he recovered it for a touchdown. Like, Mm -hmm. he's having one heck of a year. And it's because Bill Bush has balls and is like, you know what? Yep, Tommy Hill not working out. Hey, should he be a receiver? Or Well, that wasn't his question. (laughs) I'm sure it's Mickey Joseph. Like, hey, you want to catch? Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so – I would say my game wrecker of the week, even though our defense performed so poorly, I'm going to give it to Bill Bush because dude's walking around with his nuts falling and changing the gravity of the earth. Yeah, he's not afraid to uh, not afraid to stir things up, is he? And, and in many ways, it's worked. Uh, anyway, so that gives a gives you our game breaker and game wreckers of the week. Why don't we move on? And give some team ratings on a scale of 1 to 10, Dustin. We've been doing this the last couple of weeks. So why don't you go ahead and give an offensive rating from a scale of 1 to 10 for Purdue? Oh, man. Uh, boy, that's a tough question. Uh, I thought they played pretty well. Um, I'm, I guess maybe in a 9? I don't know. They, they played really well. The fact that they were able to run the football, and this might be me um, – begging for a rushing attack for the last couple of years <laughs> and not having it. Uh, but I was really – the fact that they were able to run the football, the fact that Aiden O'Connell still had over 300 yards passing, I still want to see a little bit more from the other receivers, not named Charlie Jones, but that's kind of being nitpicky. Um, right. I'll, I'll give it a 9. I, I have a hard time giving anything a 10 unless it looks like Ohio State or, or Michigan sure. at this point. I'd say that's a pretty fair rating. Scott, Nebraska's offense, what do you think? I gave them a six, and if I'm being completely honest, I could easily give them a nine if our if our offensive line wasn't a bunch of like turnstiles, turnstiles or Salvation Army recruits. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to go with a six. I'm gonna have to go with a six. Outstanding performance by Trey Palmer. Our rushing game once again was on the back of Trey Palmer. Um, so. Yeah. Other than Trey Palmer equating pretty much all of those points, um, there wasn't much to be found in the running game. There wasn't much to be found in our offensive line. And Casey Thompson, while he was able to just bomb it downfield when it came to the dink and dunk passes, he wasn't necessarily great. Um, And that a lot of that has to fall on our receivers because, like Dustin Schutte was saying earlier. Those 50-50 balls, yeah, I don't think Trey Palmer necessarily has the uh, the skill set for that, um, or at least in pressure. 
Because one of the things I noticed was there was a couple balls that were tar- that he's been targeted with. Um, he dropped a couple. Yeah, yeah, that he drops that go right in his hands. But nevertheless, I would say a six. I think a six is fair, even though, yeah. Yep. Explosive individual performance. That's where I land. I land with a six. Most of that comes from Trey Palmer's performance. Um, and Casey Thompson sticking in there. I mean, you want to talk about a warrior. That dude's been taking a beating, and I fear he's not going to make it through the season, especially with some of these decent defenses coming up. Um, so, yeah, I put it at a six as well. I'll move, and I'll go to defense, and and I'll give it a grand total of a two <laughs> because uh, too many missed tackles. 18 missed tackles. You allowed Purdue to have 101 plays. Part of that is the fault of the offensive play, play calling and the fact that the game was uh, – out of wasn't out of hand, but yet we're playing at warp speed. Um, so two for the defense, and that's that's really all it guys. Too many missed tackles, just too many. I'd love to give them a higher rating because some important guys weren't out there. But when you look at yards and missed tackles, I've got to give it a two because there were some starters out there missing a lot of tackles too. Go ahead. Uh, Dustin, what did you think of the Purdue defense? Where would you rate that thing on a scale of one to ten? Yeah, I think I'm probably right there with you with a two. Um, if it was the if it was just the first half, uh, maybe like a, a five or a six. But that second half, they were so bad, uh, couldn't couldn't stop Trey Palmer. And and this is to Scott's point earlier, uh, where you know you had a feeling that if they got a stop, Nebraska could win the game. Um, this was the most nervous I've been for a Purdue Nebraska game in quite some time. Because you felt like if Nebraska could get a stop, they were they, like they were going to win the game. If they got the ball last, they were going to win that football game. Um, so I'm sticking with a two for Purdue because, like, a, if if Nebraska got one more possession, it's a it's uh, the Huskers are four and three. Right. Yeah. There's very very possible. Scott, your defensive rating for the Huskers. All right. So I've got a four and. I kind of talked myself into a four just because of what our defensive coordinator was working with. Um, they were, it's, it's not for a lack of effort. I mean, dudes were just gas. They were playing balls to the wall. They, yes, there were some missed tackles, but once again, is that, that because of, it's of exhaustion or is that because of technique? Some of them were technique, but if I, if I, if I, can base it off of the eye test of watching the highlights again today. It looked more just like they were running into guys and then the, your guys were Purdue was just bouncing off of them. And I, I don't know what's going on in each of those moments, but uh, when it came to their fundamentals, it looked okay ish. Their execution of those fundamentals were just a little bit off. Um, You've you know, Bill Bush is trying to play, find something, something. And so for that, I'm going to give them, you know, give them a thumbs up for effort, give them a thumbs down for execution. Um, And I mean, I hate to say this, like, me for all you want. They were really a step away from a lot of things going right. Like, yep. One more step. I mean, there was so much pressures on Aiden O'Connell. He was, he just props to Aiden O'Connell. Like Aiden mm-hmm. O'Connell made our defense look bad because he timed <laughs> his 
he timed his balls like perfectly. Like he knew exactly when he needed to throw that ball and he gave himself all the time in the world. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just going to go with a four. Cause I just, I don't know. Bill Bush credit to the dude for trying to make something work with okay. nothing. Special teams. What do you think on special teams? I'm going to give it a seven. Um, yes, we made three field goals and you are correct. I felt the same way where when our special teams unit comes out to make a, a basic field goal, I don't have that, that heart pounding anxiety, wondering if they're going to go wide left or wide, right. Um, so I'll give them that. Um, it wasn't overly impressive. There wasn't anything that was like, Whoa, that was awesome. And there wasn't anything that made me go, Whoa, what the hell were you doing? So I would say a seven, you know? Something yep. reasonable like that. Dustin, how's the how about the special teams for Purdue? Um, there wasn't really a lot. They had one punt. <laughs> um, <laughs> According to the stats, there were two. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, there it says two team punts. Um, interesting. Um, I, maybe six point five. Uh, it drives me nuts when you miss an extra point. Um, and then three yeah. or four on field goals. He played. Mitchell Finneran was basically the special teams player in this. Um, he played pretty well, but in a game like this, you gotta at least make all the extra points. And again, if Nebraska got the ball back, that could have been a very costly missed extra point. So I'm gonna go six point five. Alrighty, well, I've got an eight for Nebraska. Uh, much exact same reason Scott Scott gave him a seven. I just thought the value of three field goals uh, at those moments in the game were extremely important. Um, and good lord, it, maybe it was the first field goal that Bleak Road kicked. I'm not sure he didn't exactly go right up the middle of the. I mean, he couldn't have kicked it more down the center. So I give him one extra point on special teams. Just for how down the middle that first field goal was. It was beautiful. <laughs> I'm search I'm searching for anything I can find right now, Dustin. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> so anything to add on, and that's yeah. a good that's a good one. Overall, Dustin, you're you've rated the team overall between the three uh, at a five point eight, mostly <laughs> because the defense was sure. Huh, Trey Palmer, H up. Um Scott, you have us at overall at a 5.6, and I am the pessimistic one. Go figure at 5.3. So that leads us. One more thing we're going to discuss before we get to fun facts, and hopefully this won't take too long because I do have a few slides. Uh, I just want to ask a question. That question is, what happened in Nebraska's running game? Not only in the last 15, 20 years, but especially after Frost left. And if you'll indulge me just for a moment, those are those numbers you were wondering about, Dustin, uh, about or Scott, when it came to when Frost was helping call the running plays. We were averaging 37 attempts per game, 180.7 yards and 4.8 yards per carry. I know North Dakota and uh, Georgia Southern are all part of that stat line. But, hey, they have uh, they have guys on scholarship, too. Uh, and we are still dealing with a absolute dog crap offensive line. So I'm not sure when Prohaska went out, but uh, what's interesting though, can you believe we've averaged 37 attempts to rush the ball per game since Frost was fired? Kind of surprised me when I added that up though, 52 of them or something like that came against Indiana. Um, 
I keep doing that. I don't mean to advance the slide. <laughs> We're down to 118 yards per game uh, and 3.18 yards per carry. I would say a lot of what happened to the running, running game is the Big Ten schedule. I mean, Rutgers was no slouch. Indiana was pretty stingy against the run until the midway through the fourth quarter when we started gashing them a little bit. Uh, but yeah, one point, almost 1.7 yards per carry more when Frost was still here. Not advocating that he shouldn't have been fired. I'm just saying he understood, at least at some point, what kind of a play to call at what point in the game to actually get some yards on the ground. Um, so there you go. That's the running game. Any thoughts on those those numbers, guys? Dustin, what do you think? Uh, I think you pretty much hit it on the on the head when you said uh, he knew what plays to call in order to get the run set up. Uh, I think play calling can be a bit of an art form. And I think people sometimes just think it's, it's um, I'm going to point to this and then we're going to run this. And if it, you know, if it works Mm -hmm. every, sometimes it is as easy as let's just throw the ball to Trey Palmer and he's going to catch it. He's going to (laughs) score a touchdown. Sometimes it is that easy. Other times you hear coaches say it, you're not necessarily, you might run a play knowing you're going to get one or two yards, but you have to run it number one, because you might get four or five. And number two, you have to keep the defense honest because if they're not off honest, it's not going to open up other things. So I just think Scott Frost, I still think, even though Nebraska struggled, I still think Scott Frost is a good play caller in the game. I think he can go somewhere and be a really good offensive coordinator. I think he has that in him. I think he understands that aspect. Um, I think Mark Whipple just loves to throw the football um, and doesn't, trust the offensive line that much and, and calls a completely different game than what Scott Frost wanted to call. Scott, what do you think? Yeah, I would just be, I would just be taking shot or trying to interpret what this means. I would like to say that my observation, I just think that the reason why our running game is slowed down so much is because just the, the level of competition that we have increased um, mm-hmm. and that's just what I'm going to go with. I, but I do think that Dustin makes a good point and I'm sure dad, you, you have the same, the same thought process. Correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of it has to do with that art form that Scott Frost may or may not have had while he was here and clearly had in previous, uh, previous jobs. Um, it is an art form. It's chess. It really is. It's a game of psychological chess. You want to have the upper hand on the other team comes to guessing what kind of play call you're going to make. Sure. And I would say that based Mm. on the eye test, I think that Mark Whipple isn't as good as that, as good at that. Um, I can pretty much tell what Mark Whipple is going to do as a couch coach. So if that's indicate an indication of, of, maybe uh predictable offense then you know yeah probably is so there we go i think this is all what i put on this slide is probably a little bit repetitive but you know what's obvious when we look at these games is nebraska is incapable of just straight up lining up and running the ball at people the o-line gets zero push up front um I don't remember a running back really having the ability to just grab the ball and go on an inside or outside zone play and make something happen since Amir was here and he had some pretty good offensive lines. 
Uh, we didn't need all that creativity that Scott Frost talked about. And after the Northwestern game, there was just a zone reader too with him and Tommy Armstrong and inside outside zones. Uh, now we have to scheme it up to try to make it work to hide a divisional line, i.e. that reverse by Trey Palmer was our longest run of the day and our leading rusher. So uh, my second point was that Frost was pretty decent. Obviously we talked about that of scheming stuff up to get guys like Grant going whereas Whipple isn't. Uh, we have a bad O-line, better opponents, and he only wants to run the ball probably to keep the backs happy. But I'm surpri- I truly am surprised that we've averaged 37 yards or 37 carries a game um, since, since Frost was fired. So to me, Frost was willing to run Casey a little bit more than Whipple was, and I think that made a big difference. If you got a quarterback that can go get you first down on third and three, off of either a play-action fake and then he scrambles or off of a zone read. Uh, Saturday night when Casey ran the ball, which was twice, both of them were good plays. One was a first down, one was a 30-yard scamper. And when it was all said and done, he still ended up with minus two yards rushing because of all the sacks in the first half. So, <laughs> But um, I still think we need to run the quarterback, and I think Casey needs to be able to willing, be willing to do that in order to get something – some other lanes to open up and keep at least the linebackers and the safeties honest on a play action fake. Uh, what do you guys think of that? Go ahead, Scott. No, I, I completely, I completely agree. <laughs> there needs to be some, there needs to be some play calling framework that needs some adjusting. Uh, Cause it's predictable. I think that, I think that's pretty much, what is the uh, thorn in our side right now is that it's very predictable when we're going to run the ball. They can mm-hmm. almost always bet that Casey Thompson isn't going to be scrambling out of the pocket. And so it's, it's pretty easy to call a defensive game. I mean, once we get, once we get higher competition in the secondary, no, no, no slight to, to, to Purdue. Uh, I'm looking mostly at, Actually, it's mostly just Michigan. I would say, and that one really scares me. <laughs> Michigan, and then just from a defensive standpoint, you could go Minnesota, Illinois, Michigan, and Iowa. You you're not going to probably get away with Trey Palmer as much, um, and that's just that's just a fact. And so they need to, they need to come up with some more creative creative stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that they probably they probably do need to come up with some more creative stuff. Um, I, but at the same time, I mean, getting you're gonna have to get also other guys involved. Getting Trey Palmer on that that sixty that sixty yard run, I thought was that's a way. That a lot of coaches, if they feel like, see, I think maybe the biggest difference is, and and I do um, I do multiple shows, so maybe this is why I have this this thought. Uh, a lot of offensive coordinators, if they know their offensive line is bad, they're going to try to create the run game through the passing attack. Um, Mike Riley did that uh, when he was at Nebraska. Indiana tries to do it. Jeff Brom tries to do it. There are a lot of teams that if they, they don't feel like they can win on the offensive line, they're going to try to short dump off passes. They're going to try to run screens. I mean, that's a way that that Nebraska could have an extension of the run game. Um, I 
I don't know. I, you're just not going to be able to run between the tackles. I don't. I, to be honest, I'm going to have to. Go, I would like to go back and now watch the first three games versus the last three or four to see what types of run, you know, what type of runs they were doing, what kind of play calls were setting those up. Um, because I do think that the defense net they're facing now has a lot to do with it. Because you're not all these defensive lines have been fairly formidable. Indiana's not great. Rutgers isn't great. Um, but they're a lot better than the than the first three you saw at Northwestern, North Dakota. Um, it's a, it's a strange question. I don't know if I have an answer, but um, it'll be. They have two weeks to try to figure something out, right? So this is going to be their best try, yeah. their, their best shot to try to get something adjusted, and figured out. Thank goodness for that. That they have at least a couple weeks off to uh, <laughs> hopefully bandage up some wounds and yeah. get some bruises healed up because they got banged around pretty good on Saturday night. Um, one last comment, which believe it or not, this surprised me because I am not a huge fan of Sam McEwen at the Omaha World Herald, but I really appreciated this comment that he made in his article this morning. He said, NU has arced itself away from the power offense or burly run defense that made NU a pain on any team's schedule. When the Huskers took that next level jump in the nineties by adding more speed on defense, they did so with a firm foundation in trench excellence. Nebraska didn't have to remind itself to win the fourth quarter. It simply won the last 15 minutes with a brutish identity established over the first three quarters. I think he said that about as well as you can say, say that because, you know, starting with the hire of Bill Callahan, it was West coast offense and spread and this, that, and the other. And we really haven't gotten back to that double tights, fullback lined up behind the, and I've been crying. I want a fullback back. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> for, for years. Um, and you know, the quarterback could, could take a snap under center. Holy cow. We did that once on Saturday night, kind of surprised me. Um, and then of course that badass running back back there in a really nasty, mean offensive line. So here's hoping that the next guy, whether it's Mickey, which I'm really hoping that Mickey figures out how to get this job. Um, but I'm hoping the next guy comes in with that Brett Bielema idea. We're going to upgrade the offensive line and the defensive line first. We get that set. You can run a two, three-star running back behind him. And if you open up a big enough hole, he's going to get you yards that you need. So um, anyway. This this was I, – I, I want to comment on this because I think that this was always Scott Frost's problem. And when he took the job, he – I mean, the comment's famous now, right? We want Big Ten defenses to adjust to our offense. But I truly don't think he understood. And I I don't – like, I don't blame him for it because he was almost ignorant to the fact. Having coached at Oregon where you didn't need huge offensive linemen, it was so – everything was so fast and quick hitting. They had incredible athletes out there that you didn't need a great – you didn't need big, burly offensive linemen. You just kind of needed those speed skill guys. Um, UCF, the same sort of thing worked. That just doesn't work in the Big Ten. It just doesn't work, especially in the Big Ten West. Um, I just don't think he understood it. And when he did understand it, it was too late. And he, and and he still didn't recruit offensive linemen well his last season. Um, so they that is something that I think even when Jeff Brom came into the league, Purdue had a lot of trouble recruiting offensive linemen. They got they had great recruiting classes, but they were all receivers and defensive backs. Um, and then the 2019 season happened. They went four and eight. The 2020 season happened. They went two and four. And Jeff Brown was like, 
oh shit, I need to recruit some offensive linemen. And that's why you saw, I still don't think it's great, but it's now good enough to A, run the football to ice a game. And it's good enough to do what he still wants to primarily do offensively with his, his primary passing attack. Yep. Scott, you have any thoughts on that? No, I complete, I completely agree. Um, that's one thing that we can really look back at the Scott Frost era and say, like you fumbled that ball horrendously is just did not put enough effort into our trenches. Um, yep. And admittedly so. I mean, he, I I don't remember where I heard this, but he admitted something along those lines. I'm not going to quote it. I'm not going to throw shade, but there was something that was said apparently that was something like, I don't need, I don't need a good offensive line. My skill guys are just better than that. And it's just like, it's, yeah, my it's, scheme is superior. I don't need the good offensive line. Yeah. Yes. We, it's just not, it's not the thing. And to his defense, I had no idea going into the big 10 when Nebraska moved from the big 12 to the big 10. <laughs> I had no idea how good the Big Ten was until we got here. I always assumed they were like a state conference just because I never, outside of Michigan and Ohio State and, you know, Penn State sometimes, um, what was there in the Big Ten to look at from a national scale and be like, wow, I'm sure, sure he excited to watch this Indiana and Illinois game this Saturday. Like yeah. from my, from my younger self, I just had, had no idea. But then again, I was like 12. So maybe, maybe Scott Frost was like just stuck in a 12 year old mindset and just didn't have any idea what the big 10 was really going to present him. Yeah. But no, I would much rather have a top 25 recruiting class that is primarily focused around good defensive linemen and good offensive linemen that eventuate three-star yep. talent from the skill positions and versus the other way around. We're not, yep. we're not Ohio state. We can't. You are completely roboted out, Scott. You need to uh, turn off your camera or something. So I'd lost most of the last to what you said. Um, okay. Can you hear me now? There you are. Or maybe it's just my internet connection. I don't know. Yep, there you are. Okay. Um, basically, my, my summary was just <laughs> just like uh, something like we just got to recognize that we are not Ohio State and we are not Michigan. We're not going to be able to recruit yeah. both offensive line and skill guys. We got to pick one or the other and, you know, Sorry, but if you, if you, I think, I think only one thing can be true. You can recruit tons of skill guys and fail, and that's not going to entice yep. offensive linemen or defensive linemen to come here. The other way is true, though. If you get a good offensive line and a good defensive line built up, mm -hmm. the skill guys will more likely want to come here because a running back, knowing for damn sure that they're going to have an offensive line opening yep. up holes and making them look good, of course they're going to want to come here, and so on and so forth. But anyway, I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. All righty. Well, we've gone pretty long for just covering one game. 
Ooh, thanks, yeah. Dustin. You're we're dealing with our long-windedness. I appreciate it. <laughs> Genred Pod Fun Facts. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a blast. Yeah, this is this is a lot yeah. of fun. We really, really enjoy doing this. And um yeah. So do you have anything crazy or fun that maybe you haven't told anybody that follows you about yourself? Nothing weird though, please. No, like only fan foot page. We don't need to know about that. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. No, no, nothing like that. <laughs> not a fan, only fans or anything like that. Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, this is this is tough. I wish I had a fun fact. I'm not really an interesting person. Um, I well, like you made old it. Movies. You, 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 oh, there you go. Old movies. Yeah, yeah. We kind of talked about that. Yeah, I'm a big yeah. classic movie fan. Things like. Uh, Casablanca like right now uh because it's Halloween I'll go through and I'll watch a lot of the old Hollywood like I just watched the original Night of the Living Dead a few mm, nights cool. ago um the uh the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with Spencer Tracy um the original House on Haunted Hill uh and then what's it, what's another one uh, Frankenstein Young Frankenstein I just like uh I don't know I'm I'm a big fan of old Hollywood as opposed to the same movie that we see every, you know, three or four months nowadays. Yeah, I completely agree. That's cool. That's, those are good facts. Scott, how about you? Oh, Anything. fun fact about myself is that I was at O'Reilly Auto Parts yesterday because we were in an oil chain and my friend's vehicles, two changes actually. And I found another Hot Wheels Miata, which makes me happy. It's actually very cool. I, uh, I collect for whatever reason. I mean, I like I like this um, and drove a Miata, uh, two Miatas throughout my life. Um, and now that I don't have one, I just collect the Hot Wheels car versions of them. And I finally found the mysterious Matchbox white. 2015 Mazda Miata, which I can't even find on eBay. So why in the world it was at an O'Reilly's auto O'Reilly's auto parts um, that hadn't been picked up yet is beyond me. Maybe it's because I'm in the South and most people like trucks, not little girly. <laughs> um, Might be. That, that could be a potential factor, but either way I got it. I'm happy. Cool. And it's going on my wall now. Very cool. You'll have to show it off on the next stream. Oh, wait. Um, there it is. I forgot I don't have a camera. <laughs> oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Fun time. Love it. Love it. Love it. I don't really have much other than the last couple of weeks. I have seen one end of the country, and now I'm on the other. I'm in California. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was up in Connecticut, and I got to see the beautiful fall colors. As anybody who watched the show last week saw the slideshow. Uh, you know what? Uh, it's just so much fun traveling for a living like I used to, but I'm not tied to some semi truck or a trailer 24 seven. And I get to really see a lot of stuff and share all these experiences with my wife after being apart for 300 days or more a year for 16 years. It's just been absolutely awesome. So that's my fun fact is life for me right now is really a lot of fun. That's awesome on the road. So uh, Dustin, or wait, before we get to that, merch update. 
We've got t-shirts, Scott. I just found out from the guy at Smack and Smooch, which is one of the uh, Go Big Redcast advertisers. Uh, he's got our t-shirts done, and Woo-hoo! I'll be getting them right before the Illinois game. So be looking for that video, folks. Be looking for a new podcast logo that may or may not feature those new shirts. So um, that's the merch update. Hey, Dustin, where can people find you? Uh, well, now you can find me. I've, I had to bring up my my Twitter username now because I it's something completely different. Um, it's just my last name then my first name, so it's at Shooty Dustin. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at dlshooty88. Uh, you can find my work at outsider.com, or you can hear me on um, the Eyes on Big podcast, the midweek episode. I'm on daily, the um, Indiana Sports Beat. I do this week in Indiana football with a couple of my friends. Um, cool. So there's a lot of different, a lot of different spots you can find me. Uh, and then I'm also uh, trying to do a little bit more video content just on my own, just goofy random stuff, hopefully to make, you know, if one person sees it and they smile or laugh or say, God, that guy's an idiot, that, that, that was worth it to me. So I'm trying to do more of that kind of stuff too. So a lot of different spots. Yeah, that's kind of our motivation. We hang out here for an hour, just hoping somebody looks and smiles and says, those idiots are at it again. <laughs> um, and I told you I was going to make a banner for all that stuff. And you know what? I completely forgot. Uh, old man brain. What can I tell you? Um, <laughs> you can find us. Look, I remembered this banner, though. Uh, go to genredpod.com for all of our social media. You can also find us um, on your favorite podcast app by just searching for generation red, make sure you subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and ring that bell so that you can see all our past content and see any new future live streams or videos that we throw up there. You know what, Dustin, dude, this is so awesome. I'm so glad you uh, were willing to do this with us again. And uh, thanks really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Awesome. We really, we really enjoyed having you on again, especially just to get that view of a Purdue fan and <laughs> seeing yeah. success from <laughs> somebody that you know can walk the walk of what they say, which would be a Jeff Brom run team. So, yep. it is a, absolutely it is a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolute pleasure. We really appreciate it. Anyway, on behalf of Dustin, Scott, uh, he and I together are Generation Red. And we're here to remind you every single week when we do this, that there is absolutely, in spite of Saturday night, no place like Nebraska. Iowa's corn sucks and go Big Red.